Greetings, and welcome to the NASPO Pulse. For the podcast, we are monitoring issues in state procurement. I'm your host, Kevin Miner, and I've recently returned from my trip to beautiful San Diego, California, for NASPO's 75th anniversary annual conference. And folks, let me tell you what an event. There was dancing, there was laughing, reuniting of old friends, and forging of new relationships. But most of all, cutting-edge sessions and keynote speakers sharing their expertise and knowledge over today's procurement topics. And we, Josh and I, were lucky enough to get in on one of those conversations. We present to you the second live podcast recording at a NASPO annual conference. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. I know you're excited. We got to talk with none other than Valerie Bollinger, Chief Procurement Officer for the state of Idaho, who is presenting over a session entitled Innovative Solicitation Methods. And we thought, what better way to discuss that than with an interview? We talked with Valerie about what innovation means and why it's important, the biggest hurdles for a procurement office when trying to innovate, creating a culture of innovation, and more. Email us with your questions and your comments, podcast at naspo.org. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch up on the latest in procurement literature at pulse.naspo.org, written by your very own NASPO staff. Let's take the pulse. Introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about yourself and why we should be listening to you today before we get started. Sure. That's, we're starting out with a difficult question. Why should you listen to me? <laughs> and you don't have very long to convince them. Uh, all right, fair enough. Um, so as Kevin said, I'm the CPO for the state of Idaho. Um, I've been in state procurement for a little bit over eight years. Uh, well, with the state for a little over eight, eight years. Two years before that with the University of Idaho. Like many people, tripped and fell into procurement. Um, I was uh, an attorney for a couple of years before that, so... I'm a recovering attorney, I like to say. Um, and yeah, I've been participating with NASPO for about the last six or seven years and absolutely love it. And I am very excited to talk about innovative solicitation methods. Sounds like you've got a lot of good experience with NASPO and at the state. Excellent. So Valerie, you've been hearing a lot about this word that begins with I, innovation, innovative. Now, what does that mean to you, and how does that, and, and why is that important, and how does that relate to what we're going to talk about today with solicitation methods? So, um, Josh, there's a quote that I, it's been attributed to several people, so I won't actually say who said it, because I don't want to get it wrong, but I say it all the time in my office. Um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. Um, and so for me, innovation is all about finding new solutions to problems, old problems, new problems, right? It's about not doing the same thing over and over, over and over again, not doing an RFP the same way over and over and expecting a different outcome. If we're not getting the outcome we want, we got to find a new way to do it, right? Not just cross our fingers and say, I hope it works this time, right? Let's find a way to make it better. Um, so I'm really passionate about that. 
Um, I don't believe in change for the sake of change, right? I don't believe in just, oh, we've got to find something to do. Um, I think it's really important to know what problem you're trying to solve and then come up with ways that you think you can solve that problem. Um, And that's what, I mean, that's what keeps us moving forward and and makes us responsive to our stakeholders and and their needs. Sure. I love making up. Uh, work for the sake of making it work. Sometimes. I mean, we all have so much time on our hands. Right. That, yeah, that makes exactly. Sense. Yeah. So Valerie, can you tell us what are some of the biggest hurdles for, for the procurement office uh, when you're trying to innovate? Yeah, I think there are two words uh, that answer that question. Um, but for the sake of your podcast, I'll expand a little bit. Thank you very um, much. I appreciate that. Fear and time. Um, so I think there's a lot of fear about trying something new, particularly in procurement. Um, And I think it can be at the staff level, the leadership level, internal, external, conscious, subconscious. Um, I think for staff, they often are afraid to bring up an idea because they don't want to sound dumb. They don't want to get ridiculed. They're afraid they're going to mess something up. the, for leadership, if they're, especially if they're in an appointed position, right? If something goes catastrophically wrong because we try something new, um, I, you know, they may, their job may be on the line and that, and even if it's not my job on the line, I certainly don't want to be the reason my boss gets fired. Um, I don't know, maybe sometimes I hope my staff, (laughs) maybe you do. I don't know. Let's not go there. Um, this is being recorded. (laughs) Um, but I think, so I think there's a lot of fear, particularly with procurement, right? Fear with a solicitation, fear that if you change a process, that's going to open you up to a challenge, a protest, a lawsuit, a whatever, right? Our attorneys are always kind of afraid that if we do something different, then they're not going to be prepared to defend it and they're not going to, or they're not going to be able to defend it. So I think there's a lot of a fear on, on those sorts of things. Um, and time, I, you know, mm. hopefully one of the goals of innovation is ultimately efficiency, right? But it takes an upfront investment of time to come up with a new way to do something, to vet it, um, to communicate about it, to train on it. So I think a lot, especially right now, um, I know I've said to several people this week, we have a ton of extra money, right, from the feds, from the state. We have a ton of extra money, which equals a lot of extra workload, and we're working at 50% capacity of our core positions in our office right now. So the idea of taking time away from what is already just an insane workload to do innovation feels um, just feels crazy to people, I think. So, um, and it takes a lot of energy to try something new. So I think those are the two biggest hurdles. And it's really, really important. My experience is innovation doesn't usually happen by accident. I mean, sometimes the idea comes up sort of randomly, spontaneously, but it's really important to work at having a culture that fosters innovation um, because if you don't, a lot of times you may even not even realize that you're stifling innovation just in the culture in your office. Sure, yeah. And you know, you don't hear a lot, um, oh, we have a bunch of extra money, and you would, you know, sometimes you might think that that just <coughs> automatically means innovation, but that's not necessarily true, is it? Yeah. No. Definitely not. (laughs) So how do you create a culture of innovation? Yeah, I think um, creating that culture is about sort of creating a safe space and time. Um, I'm going to go back to that time thing. Um, But, you know, having 
uh, kind of a set of ground rules for the team where they feel like they can they can bring up an idea, they can ask a question, they can make a suggestion, and know that they're not going to get ridiculed, that there's going to be some opportunity to discuss. Um, I tell my team all the time, like, warning, I'm thinking out loud right now, it's dangerous, and by the time I finish, I may go back to the beginning and say, just kidding, because... <laughs> You know, it takes time to brainstorm and talk through those things and, and kind of work <laughs> through the possibilities. Um, and I want the rest of the team to feel comfortable doing sure. that as well. Um, and, and having time, saying, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Go think about it, and let's come back. And at our next staff meeting, I want to hear if there's any ideas. Or if you want to just talk to me about it, you know, schedule a time, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So I think um, Making sure people know that ideas are welcome and that they're allowed to ask questions, they're allowed to make suggestions, um, and that we're going to follow through, right? Which doesn't mean that every idea that comes up we're going to do. Sure. Definitely don't. We don't have enough time for that, and, and some things are a little too risky. But I think for someone who does come up with innovative ideas to feel like they it never goes forward, it never goes anywhere, you're just gonna stop eventually, right? You're just gonna say, it's not worth my time to bring up that idea, because we never do it. So that's one area where I think I, I have to be really careful to not get so caught up sure. in all of the other craziness that I forget to spend time nurturing those ideas so that people continue to bring them forward. And I, I think you, you're at risk of losing buy-in too. People won't want yeah. to work with you or exactly and they'll go to another agency where their innovation is fostered mm -hmm. right I, I want those, those are the people I want on my team so I got to make sure that I'm nurturing that and like a lot of other people that were just kind of stumbling into procurement for me it hit home because I stumbled into it and I was like wow these are my people I am so risk adverse and I don't want to go out on the ledge to suggest something and everybody seemed to agree with that right. we're very risk adverse by nature and so what you're talking about in terms of like innovating going out and it is a risk almost because what if something happens what if you say something you think it's a good idea and then it doesn't necessarily have the desired mm -hmm. outcome so one of my my questions in terms of the best practices in procurement we promote not saying no to agencies and finding a way to think of solutions um, with regular procurements that we're doing. Can we apply this practice of innovation within the procurement office? Yeah, um, I, so I love this question, Josh, um, because I think it's an opportunity to really um, kind of get to a bigger, a, a bigger idea. So in our office, that's been a really big focus for the last couple of years is um, an emphasis on being strategic partners with our stakeholders, our agencies, um, being problem solvers, right? So when they mm -hmm. come to us with a problem, um, and maybe it is a, hey, how can we procure this thing that we need in six weeks when it normally takes us six months? I love that question. Mm. Yeah. That's my favorite. Right. Um, but, but, you know, when they come to us with a problem, um, not just saying, no, we can't do that. Let's mm -hmm. talk about how can we get to where you need to be? How can we find a solution? Um, and I think as leaders in our office, it's really important that we model that same concept within the office. So if every time they come to us with a question or an idea, we immediately say, no, no, we can't do that. Um, 
then it's really hard to then turn around and expect them to go back to our agency stakeholders and not do the same thing, right? So internally, we want to do exactly the thing that we want them to turn around and do with the agencies, which is say, huh, well, let's think about it, right? Yeah. Let's analyze, yeah. let's talk about what problem we're trying to solve, let's, let's brainstorm different possible you know, paths we could take, um, and let's figure out how to get there, let's find a solution. Um, so yeah, I think it's totally applicable um, internally and really important uh, to foster that culture where they feel comfortable and they're encouraged to come forward and say, this might be crazy, but what do you think mm. about this idea? Um, and feel like they can do that and then turn around and do the same thing with the agency um, when, when the agency says, you know, would it be possible to do an RFP where we don't ask for a cost proposal? Mm. Right. Well, I, I, I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. And why are you asking the question? So that we can understand what problem we're trying to solve. It's almost like a, a Pavlovian response, right? You know, you, you say, you know, you hear the bell and you say no, and you don't even know that you said it until Yeah, afterwards. exactly. I mean, that, that can be the way that it is, right? Is that especially when we're so busy. Muscle memory. And someone yeah. says... Can we skip the cost proposal? No, <laughs> right? It's like come no. straight out. Oh, how'd that happen? Um, it's like yeah. the no, we we sort of joke in our office about you know the the easy button. It's the nope button. Yeah. Can we do this? <laughs> nope. Can nope. we do this? Nope. Nope is easy. Those are um, on sale actually. Right. Uh, yeah. But we don't want that to be. We've got to break ourselves of that habit, right? And at least take the time to really think about it and analyze it. And 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 sometimes the answer is going to be no. We're not always going to do every idea that someone comes up with. But if they at least feel like it's been heard and discussed and considered, then the next time they have an idea, hopefully they're going to bring it up again. And eventually there is going to be an idea that's a great idea that we're like, yes, that's the one. We're going to do it. Let's do it. And when we think of innovation in the procurement process, what's the most important aspect of a successful implementation? Yeah, so I think um, communication is hugely important. Um, I people feel really it, like that fear that that fear factor um, is only going to increase if people feel like they don't actually understand what we're doing or why. Um, I think the why behind the innovation is really important, right? So that they, they, that the team is invested. There's that buy-in um, of why are we doing this? Like, why don't we just do it the way we've always done it? Well, this is, you know, this is the reason. Um, I think one thing that's really important is choosing a good pilot project. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say if you have a project that is really huge, really complex, politically sensitive, very visible. Is that the best project to choose to try out a new solicitation method? Hmm. Probably mm. not. That's probably a recipe for disaster. Very risk adverse. Right, because the whole, the whole thing is, if it's an innovative idea, it is the, if it's the first time you're doing it, you don't know if it's going to work. Right? And so maybe don't choose the thing that if it really goes splat <laughs> it's going to be on splatted on the you know front page of the newspaper right choose something that is meaningful so that you really can sort of take it out for a good test drive um, as far as methodology but something that if it's if it doesn't work out it's not going to be catastrophic um, and pick a project with a willing partner who is understands hey there's there's some extra risk here because we're trying something new and they say okay we're willing to try we we're 
you know, we, we want to try that with you. And then if it's successful, you can engage them to help sell that to other agencies who are a little skeptical about your newfangled idea, right? Instead of me telling people, hey, I had this great idea, another agency can say, we did this thing with the division of purchasing, it was hugely successful, let, let us tell you about it. And that carries a lot more weight coming from another agency than it does coming from us at least in Idaho. Um, so I think that is really good. And then once you kind of get through that pilot, if it's successful, training, right? People uh-huh. hate to feel like they don't know how to do their job. And that's mm-hmm. when we've implemented new things in our office. That's the thing that's been hardest is if people who are used to feeling like an expert mm-hmm. all of a sudden feel like they don't know how to do their job, that is very disconcerting. And um, it it's hard to get people excited to keep trying new things when they all of a sudden feel like it's their first day of the job, on the job again. That Mm -hmm. is not a good feeling. And one of the things that came to mind too, when I'm thinking about if I have an idea or as uh, I encounter a challenge in in my past procurement that I've done, and I think the double-edged sword, and I'd be interested to see what you have to say about this, a double-edged sword of like even suggesting something is, I don't want to make any more work for either myself or other Uh people. How do I even come up with an idea that's going to really toe that line and actually make it innovative and an outcome that we all want? Yeah. So we always joke in our office that the reward for being really good at your job is more work, right? <laughs> we probably all have experienced yes. that. Yeah. Congratulations, you're really good at your job. You now have more responsibilities. three more projects and, to yeah. do because you're great at your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same idea, right? Part of you is sort of like, I have an idea, but I don't want to be the one who has to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't, don't want to raise my hand because I, I don't want the extra work. Um, so what we try to do is, is talk about those ideas and not necessarily assume that the person who had the idea has to be the one to do that, that pilot or try mm-hmm. to roll it out. Um, so somebody, oh, so you let somebody else. Yeah, Okay. exactly. So we might say, hey, this, this is a great idea. Does somebody want to take the first, take the leap on this? Does somebody want to be the guinea pig on this project? And it might be that person who brought up the idea, but it doesn't have to be. And that way the team is supporting each other um, in a way that, and it, and it also means if it isn't successful, it's not all on that person, right? It's a shared responsibility yeah. of the team to try to make it work. And if it doesn't work, to go back and say, all right, what didn't work? What can we sure. do differently? Sure. That's where that culture comes in huge because everybody is comfortable. Everybody knows that everybody's pulling in the same direction to be able to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think part of the, re- the reward too, right, is implementation of the idea. So if it's something that you came up with and you were brave enough to to you know, poke your head up in a staff meeting and to suggest, and then to see that kind of come to fruition, right? I mean, has that? Have, do you have any experience with that? Yeah, I mean, part of what we try to make sure we do is recognize those things, even when they're small, right? And I think that's one thing that people sure. get sort of sucked into this trap of thinking that innovation has to be some huge thing, right? So in the keynote yesterday, uh, the whole concept of the sensor on the thing tells them it's going bad, and then four minutes later, it's been shipped, right? Which hurt my brain, but that's a different story. Um, (laughs) But I think that is this huge innovative thing, right? Innovation doesn't have to be huge. It can be a small thing, it can be iterative, Uh um, it can be one little change, and so it doesn't always have to be a huge time investment, right? Which Mm -hmm. is important for people to, to think about. Um, but when somebody does come up with an idea and we try it and it works, we make sure that we're celebrating that with the team um, so that, again, it reinforces the idea that, like, 
hey, bring bring ideas forward because we recognize that we celebrate it. Um, and it really helps the team to feel like they've accomplished something when they've implemented a new, you know, yeah. a new method, a new process, yeah. whatever it is. And I think I feel like the word innovation is synonymous now with big, giant, huge. Has to be big, bright lights, and that's not necessarily true, right? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be. It can start really small, mm -hmm. um, and I think for us, um, over the last probably four or five years, we started small, just making small changes in our RFP process. Um, as far as we had issues with getting to the end of the process and then vendors expecting to negotiate terms that we couldn't negotiate because of the way, because of the process we'd used. And we, you know, I mean, definition of insanity, we kept doing it and telling vendors over and over again, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions during the Q and A. Well, they didn't do it. And we got to the end, we had this problem and we had a massive like messaging problem because those vendors and their lobbyists were telling everyone who would listen, well, they can never negotiate our terms and conditions, right? The, the state never accepts different T's and C's. Well, that's actually not true. It never was true. It was a process issue. So we, we introduced a new way of having vendors request modifications to the T's and C's. It was a small change. We've tweaked it along the way, but it doesn't always have to be a massive thing. And then we've also implemented completely new solicitation methods, right? Invitation to negotiate and, and a new RFI process if you happen to be in sure. our Cronin this morning, so. Sure. Well, last question, final thought. What's your advice to the audience about what we've yeah. talked about? Yeah, want some parting wisdom for the fine folks. You know, I, I think it's to not, this may sound counterintuitive, but to not push too hard for innovation. I think um, challenging people to think about how to solve problems is great, um, but also letting it kind of happen naturally. I think sometimes there's this push where there's almost like this pressure, like I have to come up with this, you know, huge harebrained idea. Well, no, like just sort of let it happen naturally as people talk about issues, challenges they're having, and brainstorming together on how they can solve those problems. Um, that's where we've had the best, um, I would say, leaps forward in innovative ideas, and is all of us just kind of sitting around collaborating, brainstorming, um, just sort of throwing mm -hmm. out random things. And sometimes it's not one idea, one person's idea. Sometimes it's a little bit from here and a little bit from there, and all of a sudden we're like, hey, we think we have something here. This is exciting. And then people get excited because they're they're involved in that that process. Great. That's cool. Excellent. Let's give it up for our uh, guest, very special guest, Valerie Bollinger. This episode of the NASPO Pulse is brought to you by NASPO's Repository of State Practices, or ROSP. Accessing and comparing state procurement laws can be time-consuming and far from easy. That's why NASPO's research and innovation team has built the solution. The ROSPE is NASPO's member-only database of state procurement statutes, regulations, and policies. You can quickly access state procurement information ranging from bid protest procedures to bidder responsibility guidance. It even provides easy access to state procurement manuals and statewide contract database. To access, go to the NASPO network and click on the Resources tab. 